the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Monday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. I hope you're staying cool on this first day of a heat wave. James Blend is producing today's program. Sam Moppin is engineering, and we're glad to have you with us. In our second hour, we'll hear a conversation with Andrew Farley, author of The Grace Message, Is the Gospel Really This Good? And we'll share some final thoughts on a huge win for counselors and their clients. And Amy Grant, she's been named a Kennedy Center honoree. More on that later in the second hour. Well, the Pacific Northwest, of course, is bracing for a major heat wave with temperatures forecast to top 100 degrees Fahrenheit. In some uh, places this week, as climate change uh, fuels longer hot spells, they tell us. Although weather and climate change, not a good predictor. In a region where such events were historically uncommon. To have a five-day stretch or a week-long stretch above 90 degrees is very rare in the Pacific Northwest, according to Vivek Sandus, a professor of climate adaptation at Portland State University. Local officials and residents have been scrambling to adjust to longer, hotter heat waves following last summer's a heat dome, as they refer to it. In late June and early July of um, 21, about 800 people died across Oregon, Washington, and British Columbia during the day's long extreme heat event. It saw record temperatures soar at 116 degrees in Portland and smashed heat records in cities and towns across the region. Many of those who died were elderly and lived alone. So please check on your neighbors and make sure They have sufficient um, way to cool themselves. And while temperatures aren't expected to reach those highs this week, uh, the uh, number of consecutive hot days uh, has officials on guard. Portland uh, could top 100 degrees on Tuesday and wide swaths of Western Oregon and Washington are predicted to be well above historic averages throughout the week as well. Uh, It's nothing we haven't seen before in terms of the magnitude, but the duration of the event is fairly unusual. We're trying to uh, message, according to John Bungardner, who is the meteorologist at the National Weather Service here in Portland, uh, we're trying to message that people who don't have AC might have a harder time near the end of the event. They're referring to the week as an event, adding that there may be an accumulation of sleep deprivation if it doesn't cool off sufficiently at night. Overnight temperatures may not dip below the 70s in some areas. Much of the U.S. saw above average warmer temperatures in June, according to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Uh, They estimate that the weather and climate disasters, including tornadoes, hail and extreme drought, have uh, cost nearly nine billion dollars in damage across the country so far this year. So uh, we are in the middle of what they're telling us is a heat wave. Full overnight cooling shelters will be opening here in Portland and throughout Multnomah County as soon as tomorrow as officials prepare for that heat wave that we've begun with highs in the upper 90s to triple digits. The city and county issued heat emergency declarations yesterday after the National Weather Service issued an excessive heat watch for uh, Monday through Friday. That's today through Friday of this week. Officials warned of dangerously hot conditions that could potentially break 100 degrees multiple days during the week. Officials said overnight lows are expected to be in the mid to upper 60s, 
if we're lucky, providing little relief for those without air conditioning. And while the average low for July is about 58 degrees, forecasters said it's possible overnight lows may not even dip below 70 on certain nights during this week. Well, Portland has only registered six nights of the in the past 10 years with uh, lows um, uh, did not drop below 70, according to data from the National Climactic Data Center. And five of those were during heat waves last year in June and August. So, again, we've only had in the last 10 years six nights that have been extraordinary. The city of Portland is preparing to uh, protect uh, our most vulnerable residents during this approaching heat wave. And they're working with a regional partner to ensure that there's a place for everyone at a cooling center. That's according to uh, Mayor Ted Wheeler. Uh, start getting prepared now and don't forget to check on your neighbors. Well, the locations and hours of Portland area cooling shelters have yet to be announced, but there is an interactive map or list of places to cool on Multnomah County, Clackamas County and Washington County websites. So you might want to check that out if you are in need of or know someone who's in need of uh, that help. Uh, A list of cooling spaces for Clark County, uh, Washington, can be found as well. You can also dial 211 to find a cooling space or transportation to a cooling space. In addition, officials said that TriMet will not turn away anyone riding to a cool place who cannot afford to pay fare starting today. That policy will last for the duration of the heat wave. Riders are asked to let bus drivers know they are heading to a cooling place. Officials say to check TriMet.org for alerts or dash alerts and plan early for the possibility of uh, heat-related bus and max delays because it can affect uh, transportation as well. Multnomah County libraries will have extended hours starting tomorrow. In the meantime, officials said uh, several libraries are already open from 8 or rather until 8 p.m. Uh, starting today. That's Albina, Capitol Hill, Fairview, Columbia, Gregory Heights, Kenton, North Portland, Northwest, uh, Rockwood, Selwood, Moreland, St. John's, Troutdale and Woodstock. Those libraries will have extended hours. The Joint uh, Office of Homeless Services has already been distributing supplies to people living outside. Outreach teams have distributed 28,830 bottles of water, 4,000 electrolyte packets, 1,846 cooling towels, 820 refillable bottles and 820 misting bottles since last Tuesday. Uh, Dozens of Oregonians died during last summer's June Heat Dome event. Of those, 78 percent were 60 or older. Seventy one percent lived alone. The vast majority didn't have a working AC unit, according to Multnomah County. So this is a great opportunity for us to make sure our neighbors are provided for. In order to keep elderly neighbors and loved ones safe, officials recommend that you check on them frequently until the heat wave is over and to uh, make a plan to give them breaks from the heat. Officials also recommend for people to avoid using the oven or stove during the heat wave. I plan on making that announcement tonight to Dan Rice that we really, really shouldn't cook. I'm just saying. And to sleep with windows open at night or wake up early in the morning to open them when the temperatures are cooler. So there you have it. We are in the midst of a heat event. By the way, a 2.9 magnitude earthquake was recorded between Hillsborough and Oloa at about 1.43 a.m. on Sunday. The USGS uh, said the earthquake had a depth of about 10.8 miles. An earthquake rattled the Portland metro area overnight. Well, Scott Burns, who's a professor of geology at Portland State University, says that the quake was likely a movement on a deep fault that has not been previously mapped there. Residents in several cities around the metro area, including Beaverton, Hillsborough and Sherwood, had reported to the USGS that they felt the earthquake. 
The rumble stretched across the Oregon-Washington border with several people in Vancouver reporting they felt tremors. Earthquakes like this are rare in the Portland area. It reminds us that we are earthquake country. Another earthquake was reported off the Oregon coast at about 2.22 a.m. That quake was reported to uh, as having a 4.0 magnitude and was about 244 miles west of Coos Bay. As of 10 a.m. Sunday, the USGS said that one person in Coos Bay had reported feeling that quake. Um, the uh, earthquakes are unrelated, but we do have them in this part of the country. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Want to encourage you to help us welcome a new program that's in our lineup here, Destined for Victory with Paul Shepard. It's now part of our regular program lineup, Monday through Friday, 6 p.m., following this program right here at 93.9 KPDQ. You can join the program every weekday immediately following this show, and you'll be informed, inspired by practical, down-to-earth teaching blended with humor from Pastor Paul Shepard. Learn more about the show and the ministry at kpdq.com. And welcome, Destined for Victory. Well, climate activists are ramping up their tactics and violence as their uh, alleged deadline to save the planet draws near, gluing themselves to portraits and the like. In a white coat walkout, medical students snubbed their own initiative. uh, I guess it's initiation ceremony over the speaker's pro-life stance, which wasn't referenced in the speech. They happened to know that the professor, the assistant professor, uh, who was uh, chosen by unanimous uh, vote of students, was pro-life, but the speech had nothing to do with that, but they couldn't even tolerate her voice on other matters and walked out. Playing word games, the White House disputes the popular definition of recession while trying to get ahead of a key report due out this week. In search of what's best for baby, the American Academy of Pediatrics new de- guidelines on nursing has moms in a quandary. The AAP recently amended its breastfeeding guidelines, stating that it now supports mothers nursing their babies through the first two years of life. The American Academy of Pediatrics recommends exclusive breastfeeding for about the first six months, the group said in a statement. It indeed went on to say uh, the we support continued breastfeeding after solid foods are introduced as long as you and your baby desire for two years or beyond, end quote. The AAP also noted that it wants to be more closely aligned with the World Health Organization on this issue, even as confidence in the World Health Organization has waned among Americans. In the race for the White House, a straw poll at the Turning Point USA Summit sees a clear frontrunner for the 2024 GOP presidential nomination. Trump dominated the uh, presidential nomination straw poll at the summit, 78.7% at that event. Uh, the attendees said that they would vote for Trump in 2024 if he were to run. Looking for critical support, strategists sound off on the importance of his, the Hispanic vote and whether Democrats are losing a key demographic. Pope Francis has apologized to indigenous Canadians for evil committed by so many Christians. Well, the Pope issued the apology to indigenous peoples of Canada on Monday, asking forgiveness for the evil committed by so many Christians following international uproar over the treatment of indigenous children at residential Christian schools. I am deeply sorry, sorry for the ways in which, regrettably, many Christians supported the colonizing mentality of the powers that oppress the indigenous peoples, he said, according to the Washington Post. 
Residential schools that assimilated and Christianized indigenous children were run partly by the Catholic Church in the 19th and 20th centuries. It is painful to think of how the firm soil of values, language and culture that made up the authentic identity of your peoples was eroded and that you have continued to pay the price for this, Francis added, according to the um, outlook. Outlet, rather. Francis Tripp follows reports which surfaced last year indicating mass graves of indigenous children had been unearthed in Canada. Dozens of Catholic churches were consequently vandalized across the, the nation. Some of the alleged graves were already known cemeteries, accounted for in a 2015 Truth and Reconciliation report, while others had not been verified as mass grave sites, according to the National Post. Well, no, the ghost of Venezuela dictator Hugo Chavez didn't commandeer our nation's dominion voting machines and thereby rig the 2020 election for Joe Biden. But that doesn't mean he beat Donald Trump fair and square. And it doesn't mean that he won't have serious problems with our electoral system. Well, that's what Douglas Andrew writes in response to the report that was released uh, just last week. Lost, not stolen, the conservative case for Trump. Uh, that he lost to Biden and won the 2020 presidential election. Well, the other side within the uh, umbrella of uh, Trump supporters or conservatives or never Trumpers, uh, still the group self-described conservatives would prefer that you forget all about it and just move on. Indeed, it's a collective hatred for Donald Trump is so visceral that it has produced the 72 page report. And I already mentioned the name predictably, though, they say of the report, which I talked about last week. Um, As uh, Federalist Molly Hemingway puts it out in a devastating rebuttal, the report mostly just recites the results of court decisions and recounts and focuses on traditionally understood fraud rather than the significant and extremely well substantiated concerns that various groups have raised about the election. Their methodology obscures the vast majority of actual material to consider if uh, one were honestly engaging the problems. That's a quote from Capital Research Center President Scott Walter about the Never Trumpers report. Walter's group has taken a far more serious look at the problems of the 2020 election, including the $419 million uh, pumped into by Facebook CEO and anti-Republican censor Mark Zuckerberg and a highly effective effort to privatize local election offices and get out the vote in Democrat-dominated cities and counties of the crucial swing states of Pennsylvania, Arizona, Georgia, and Wisconsin, the latter three of which were decided uh, by more than, by a mere, rather, 43,000 votes, which sounds like a lot to me, but a Apparently in a nationwide statewide vote, it's not oddly or perhaps not oddly at all. The report almost completely ignores this unprecedented act of electoral meddling. So you might want to check out um, the other side of the so-called conservative case that Trump uh, either won or lost the election. Uh, Time magazine told some inconvenient truths in a detailed report. They go on to point out last February called the secret history of the shadow campaign that saved the 2020 election. Saved? For whom? Well, Time went on to describe these plotters as a well-funded cabal of powerful people ranging across um, industries and ideologies working together behind the scenes to influence perceptions, change rules and laws, steer media coverage and control the flow of information, end quote. That's again a quote from Time magazine. That's right. They changed rules and laws, as Hemingway writes, the successful effort to change hundreds of laws and processes across the country to enable tens of millions of unsupervised ballots to flood the system was led by Mark Elias, the same attorney who had been behind the creation of the Russian collusion host, 
the lie that uh, Trump didn't win the 2016 election, but stole the election by colluding with Russia. So anyway, it goes on. There are two sides of the so-called conservative view of the 2016 election. Well, a Canadian court has awarded a major league win to Arthur Pulaski, the pastor who was arrested and jailed for holding a church service during Alberta's lockdown. Pulaski, the minister of Calgary Street Church, was arrested by Calgary police in a dramatic fashion in the middle of a busy highway on the 8th of May last year. And he was driving home from church where his congregation had gathered without masks in violation of public health orders. Both the pastor and his brother were charged with organizing an illegal in-person gathering as well as requesting, inciting or inviting others to participate with them. Well, later in October, a judge found them in contempt of Alberta's May the 6th health order. That judge also slapped a sanction on the pastor, mandating that whenever he publicly spoke about Alberta's pandemic restrictions, he must add a government approved statement saying that most medical experts support social distancing, face masks and vaccines. However, on Friday, an Alberta appeals court panel Uh, They ruled that Alberta's health agency's order restraining illegal public gatherings was not sufficiently clear and unambiguous as to apply to the Pulaski's. The Pulaski's appeals are allowed. The finding of contempt and the sanction order are set aside. The fines that have been paid by them are to be reimbursed. The three panel, uh, the three member panel wrote in their 16 page ruling. The court ordered Alberta Health Services, the province's health agency, to reimburse the pastor and his brother, uh, his legal costs, as well as the fines levied against him. His lawyer celebrating the win in a statement on Twitter said it's a slam dunk win. The Court of Appeal made a unanimous sound decision and overturned the finding of contempt made against my client, the attorney uh, said of the uh, more recent decision. Well, since 2020, Pulaski, again, the pastor, has been repeatedly arrested, fined and jailed as he continued to defy and protest Alberta's stringent, stringent pandemic restrictions. In December of last of uh, 2020, rather, Pulaski was priv- was uh, providing grilled steak to homeless people in Calgary when he was approached by police who issued him a twelve hundred dollar fine. Shocking videos of Canadian police arresting the pastor over and over again had gone viral and sparked outrage over social media. Tomorrow, I have another trial in Calgary. I am personally facing $100,000 ticket for feeding the homeless during the greatest crisis we have ever seen in the country. Well, he has since been vindicated. Pulaski also went viral during Holy Week last year over video of him demanding that police leave his church. He's also spoken with U.S. lawmakers warning that uh, some governments are beginning to look like communist Poland, which he fled when he was just a young man. Well, he won in court earlier today. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We've got uh, a guest coming up in the second hour, Andrew Farley, uh, The Grace Message, so I hope you'll stick around for that. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. If you're looking to save big on Christian school tuitions, I want to let you know We've got some savings for you, up to 40% on two fine schools, Cornerstone Christian Academy and Grace Lutheran School. Availability is limited, so go to kpdq.com. Click on the Listener Savings tab at the top of the homepage for more information to save big on Christian school tuitions right now. Well, for Pete's sake, President Biden's transportation secretary ripped Senator Rubio for having time to fight against Disney but not protecting same-sex marriage making a moral equivalence. 
Suggesting electronic eavesdropping, a Zuckerberg-backed summit learning platform suggests schools listen to parents' online conversations. Find out what you think and what you're saying. Calling him a political predator, the New York Times columnist writes, the country will collapse if Trump isn't prosecuted. Meanwhile, the Washington Post op-ed says President Biden is not running in 2024, and it would be the best for the president and his party. Saying people are going to die after her arrest at a Supreme Court protest, Representative Sarah Jacobs goes on MSNBC to slam abortion bans. Of course, in abortions, people die every time. Trey Gowdy points out that a deeply polarized America is united in its disdain and distrust of one thing, the media. Mark Levin says Democrats are using the January 6th committee to stop Trump from running for office again. Well, yeah, that was pretty obvious. Well, the World Health Organization has declared a health, a public health emergency over the monkeypox virus. CNBC reports the World Health Organization has activated its highest alert level for the growing monkeypox outbreak, declaring the virus a public health emergency for international concern. The rare designation means that WHO now views the outbreak as a significant enough uh, threat to global health that a coordinated international response is needed to prevent the virus from spreading further and potentially escalating into a pandemic. Although the way you contract monkeypox is never mentioned. Although the declaration does not impose requirements on national governments, it serves as an urgent call for action. The WHO can only issue guidance and recommendations to its member states, not mandates. Member states are required to report events that pose a threat to global health. The U.N. agency declined last month to declare a global emergency in response to monkeypox, but infections have increased substantially over the past several weeks, pushing the director of the World Health Organization to issue the highest alert. USA Today points out that U.N. Health Agency Director General Tedros, just let you imagine the rest, made the announcement after the... um, World Health Organization's expert committee couldn't reach a consensus on whether to apply the highest level alert on the virus. He made the decision despite a lack of consensus among experts, calling himself a tiebreaker. It was the first time a U.N. health agency chief has unilaterally made such a decision without an expert recommendation. Keep that in mind. Monkeypox is, for the most part, contracted through um, male homosexual sexual contact, uh, particularly when it is repeated over a period of time. So it doesn't impact directly the general population, but a particular population, which isn't mentioned, uh, to the detriment of those who contract monkeypox as well as the rest of the public. Gavin Newsom signed a gun bill modeled after the Texas heartbeat bill. The California governor on Friday signed a gun control bill into law that will allow private citizens to sue anyone who manufactures, sells, transports or distributes illegal salt weapons and ghost guns. The measure was crafted in response to last year's Texas abortion ban that prohibits the procedure once a heartbeat was detected and allows private citizens to sue physicians, drivers or anyone else who aids a woman in receiving an abortion for $10,000. The California gun law would grant $10,000 in damages per weapon to private citizens who uh, who sue. Citizens could also be awarded the same amount if they file a lawsuit against someone who illegally sells firearms to people under 21 years of age. National Review weighs in, saying 13 abortion bills sponsored by Planned Parenthood are still sitting on the California Senate, one of which provides uh, would provide funding for out-of-state women's lodging and transportation to get an abortion in the state of California. Uh, they will also vote in November on amending the state constitution to include the right to abortion after the uh, state legislature approved a measure to put the amendment on the ballot. 
President Biden is preparing for another $270 million in aid to Ukraine. The Hill reports that the administration on Friday rolled out a $270 million security assistance package for Ukraine that includes four more high-mobility artillery rocket systems and hundreds of tactical drones. White House National Security Spokesman John Kirby told reporters that the package includes $175 million in presidential drawdown authority, which allows the Pentagon to send weapons from its own stockpiles. The remaining $95 million will go toward contracting up a 580 Phoenix Ghost unarmed aerial system under the Ukraine Security Assistance Initiative. The Pentagon first sent the drones in April when it included 121 of as part of an $800 million weapons package. The drones are similar to the Switchblade drone, which is small, rapidly deployable system that can fly short distances and is difficult to detect. On Friday, the Department of Defense announced that the administration has sent Ukraine more than $8.2 billion in aid since the start of his administration, including $7.3 billion since Russia invaded in late February. The man who attacked Representative Lee Zeldin on Thursday was released due to New York's cashless bail laws, but he was rearrested on Saturday. The suspect in the attack was Arrested Saturday afternoon on a federal assault charge, the U.S. Attorney's Office in Western District of New York announced uh, he is scheduled to make his first court appearance before U.S. Magistrate Judge Marion Payson on Saturday. Zeldin is running for New York governor as a Republican. Uh, The shooter, 43 of Fairport, New York, has been charged with attempted assault in the second degree on the state level. He was arraigned at Parenton Town Court and released on his own recognizance after the Thursday attack. Before he was released... um, Representative Zeldin, who's running for governor, predicted that the suspect would be released. He was. Zeldin promised to fire district attorneys that do not enforce the law if he's elected. Mike Gallagher weighs in, saying, are you surprised to learn that the would-be attacker, assassin, was quickly released from jail? The man who tried to stab Lee Zeldin last night had a, um, a bladed weapon during a campaign stop that released from jail within hours of his arrest on a felony charge, just as Zeldin had predicted. Zeldin himself is quoted as saying, after being charged with a felony for last night's attack, the man who tried to stab me was instantly released back onto the streets due to New York's insane cashless bail law. We must repeal cashless bail in New York. Again, he's running as a Republican for governor. California Governor Newsom is running ads in Texas rebuking Governor Abbott's gun and abortion legislation. So the question is, is he preparing for a run for the White House? Well, the California governor is running these ads in three Texas newspapers criticizing the Texas governor for his record on gun guns and abortion. The effort comes at uh, after Newsom ran television ads in Florida, criticizing the state's GOP governor there, Ron DeSantis. The ads have um, have fed suggestions that Newsom could run for president in 2024. The ads in Texas replaced the word abortion with gun violence and Texas with California in an effort to use Abbott's words against him. NBC writes that in a uh, telephone interview with NBC News on Thursday, Newsom said Democrats need to start playing hardball. I think Democrats have been playing a little softball, he said. It's absolutely true that I'd much rather follow when they go low, we go high, he said, referring to a favorite line from former First Lady Michelle Obama. But I also think we'd be completely missing the moment we're living in. 
The doors open. It's fair. It's now fair play. The Supreme Court left the door open. Went on. Uh, Newsom went on to say he's been on the national radar for years. Shot down the speculation and said he wants President Joe Biden to run again in 2024. But I think even he knows that's not likely. In no way, shape, or form, this uh, has anything to do with that. He said. Period. Full stop. Add six or seven exclamation points. He went on to tell NBC News. Still, he said he thinks national Democrats have been too slow to recognize the threat Republicans represent and too willing to let the other side pick the issues and set the terms of the political debate. Well, Al Gore equated climate change deniers to Uvalde police officers and called to eliminate the filibuster to pass climate bills. So rules only apply when they support your particular ideological view. Well, the former vice president compared climate change deniers to the police officers in Texas to argue that inaction is harming future generations in an interview on NBC. Uh, New York Post says that Gore pointed out pointed out the similarity between Congress failing to ban assault weapons with the inability to vote on climate change legislation probably would be better to just argue on the merits of his position rather than trying to compare it to unrelated things. But he went on to say the same reason we can't pass legislation to, for example, reinstate the ban on assault weapons is the same reason that we can't pass climate legislation. We have a minority government. We have the filibuster still which ought to be eliminated. Now, by minority government, I'm not sure what he means. The Democrats rule the White House, the House, and the Senate. We have the filibuster still, we ought to, um, which ought to be eliminated. We have big money playing a much too large a role in our politics, lobbyists for the fossil fuel industry, and uh, so on. A very interesting perspective um, from the majority party. In Washington, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Quick break. We'll be back to continue our look at the news. And also coming up in the second hour, Andrew Farley, the Grace Message. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on ninety three point nine KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Second hour, Andrew Farley, the Grace Message. I hope you'll stick around. For that. And Amy Grant, well, she's been named a Kennedy Center honoree. We'll tell you more about that in the second hour as well. Well, the award winning film, The Matter of Life, cuts through the angry rhetoric and the divisiveness about the most contentious issue of our day, or at least one of them abortion. It's a powerful film. It brings compassion and clarity to the debate and presents a message that goes beyond pro life and pro abortion arguments. It forces us to ask the question, are the unborn one of us, the matter of life? It stresses uh, entering this conversation with understanding, love, and support. And you can watch the trailer and get more details at kpdq.com through the end of this month. Well, increasing Chinese aggression has alerted the U.S. and U.S. allies in the Indo-Pacific. The uh, military, uh, the Chinese military, has become significantly more aggressive and dangerous over the past five years. That's according to the top U.S. military officer uh, during a trip to the Indo-Pacific that included a stop on Sunday in Indonesia. General Mark Milley, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, said the number of intercepts by Chinese aircraft and ships in the Pacific region with U.S. and other partner forces has increased significantly over that time, and the number of unsafe interactions has risen by similar proportions. The message is the Chinese military in the air and at sea have become significantly more and noticeably more aggressive in this particular region. The general, who recently asked his staff 
have to compile details about interactions between China and the U.S. and others in the region, said. His comments came as the U.S. redoubles its effort to strengthen its relationship with Pacific nations as a counterbalance to China, which is trying to expand its presence and influence in the region. Meanwhile, the New York Post says Milley, who asked his staff to put together the review of interactions, uh, will participate in meetings this week with Indo-Pacific Chiefs of Defense in Sydney, Australia, where the discussion will focus on the growing military threat from China and the need to keep the Pacific free and open. Liz Cheney and the January 6th committee are seeking testimony from Justice Clarence Thomas's wife. Representative Cheney suggested on Sunday that the uh, committee would subpoena Jeannie Thomas, wife of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, if she does not agree to testify willingly. The wife of the uh, Supreme Court Justice repeatedly corresponded with then White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows and Trump lawyer John Eastman, who was pushing uh, this deranged theory, CNN host Jake Tapper said on Sunday. Well, journalist Aaron Ruper said Cheney... Um, uh, let me get this right. Journalist Aaron Rupar on Jeannie Thomas said this. We certainly hope that she will agree to come in voluntarily, but the committee is fully prepared to contemplate a subpoena if she does not. Uh, USA Today reports that Representative Adam Schiff, a Democrat from California, also a member of the committee, backed up Cheney's statements on CBS News Face the Nation. If she has relevant information or investigation, we hope she comes in voluntarily. But if she doesn't, then we should give this serious consideration. And yes, I think those who uh, that those that we decide have important enough information should be subpoenaed. Now, is this a necessary move or is this a political move that will score points before a midterm election? The wife of a Supreme Court justice who corresponded with one of the uh, Trump uh, members. Um, Daily Mail reports that in May, committee chairman Benny Thompson, he told CBS News that they are looking to subpoena Thomas. She was not really a focal point of the broader committee work. She just happens to be the wife of the Supreme Court justice. Thompson said at the time, if Thompson uh, complies with the committee in some form, she could provide key insights for its next set of hearings. There's going to be a next set of hearings, by the way, which Cheney announced at the end of the panel's last series. Steve Bannon has been found guilty of contempt of Congress and will likely face jail time. On Friday, one of Donald Trump's former advisors was found guilty of criminal contempt of Congress over his refusal to comply with Nancy Pelosi's politically motivated committee. A Washington jury found Bannon guilty on two counts as prosecutors asserted that he chose allegiance to Donald Trump over compliance with the law. Bannon has maintained that once Trump invoked executive privilege, he was not in a position to defy it and testify before the J6 committee. He was apparently wrong. Following the verdict, Bannon stated, we respect their decision. We may have lost a battle here today, but we're not going to lose the war. I stand with Trump and the Constitution, and I will never back off uh, that ever. End quote. Well, under federal law, Bannon faces up to two years in prison for each count, though it's highly unlikely he's uh, he'll see even a day in prison as his legal team appeals the case. His sentencing is scheduled for October. Meanwhile, the real question is why the committee went after Bannon, who had little contact with Trump after he left the White House mere months into his first year in office. The answer appears to be, well, political. It's a chance for Democrats to reap some payback on a man they loathe, Trump, as uh, well as uh, one of the people who helped get him into 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Russia and Ukraine, as we mentioned last week, have signed a grain export deal. Millions of tons of grain that has been uh, stuck in Ukraine, thanks to Vladimir Putin's invasion, will soon be allowed to be exported out of the war-torn country following the signing of a U.N.-backed agreement. 
The deal will follow Ukraine to uh, rather allow Ukraine to ship grain out of its port cities through the Black Sea without being threatened by Russian military vessels. The deal was officiated by Turkey, whose officials will be responsible for inspecting Ukrainian ships to ensure there is no smuggling of weapons. This is the first agreement the two warring uh, nations have made since the invasion. Turkish uh, President uh, Erdogan relished his country's role in helping to broker the deal, stating that we are proud to be instrumental in an initiative that will play a major role in solving a global food crisis that's been on the agenda for a long time, end quote. Most of the wheat grain is uh, destined for Egypt, Indonesia, Pakistan, and Bangladesh. It's ironic, but that uh, big city Democrats are uh, begging President Biden for help amid the mass migrant releases. They're now flooding into their communities and they're insisting now something must be done and they're criticizing border states. University of Michigan medical students walked out of a pro-life speaker's keynote address at White Coat Ceremony, even though no reference to abortion was made. The mere fact that she was herself pro-life was enough for the walkout. President Biden denounced uh, denounced rather the attack on the GOP nominee from New York uh, uh, running for governor, but doesn't mention the quick release of his attacker. The Biden administration is bracing for a tsunami of bad economic news this week. Meanwhile, the White House has redefined recession ahead of a potentially negative GDP report. A recession, as it has historically been defined, is not really a recession any longer under this administration. With a strategic petroleum reserve at its lowest level since 1985, the U.S. is selling the stockpiled oil to China. The CIA director is proud of the Afghanistan analysis, despite the disastrous Taliban takeover. NewsGuard downgraded Fox News, the only network that covered the Biden controversy, while rating the Hunter Biden story censors with perfect credibility. Baltimore State's Attorney Marilyn Mosby lost her re-election bid in the Democrat primary. And two were killed and five wounded in a shooting at a Los Angeles County park. The L.A. County Health Director partied at the All-Star Game days after reinstating the mask mandate. Well, it applies at least to others, but not, you know, important people. The list of New York City employees who were fired for not getting a COVID vaccine has grown to more than 1,750, according to the New York Post. And a pastor jailed for holding a church service during Canada's lockdown has won a victory. Pastor Pulowski went viral last year for kicking police out of his church. The Canadian court has awarded a major legal win for the pastor who was arrested and jailed for holding a church service during Alberta's lockdown. Pastor Pulowski, the minister of Calgary Street Church, was arrested by Calgary police in dramatic fashion in the middle of a busy highway on the 8th of May last year as he was driving home from church where his congregation had gathered without masks in violation of public health orders. And Crayola is now pushing the trans agenda on kids. Well, on this day in history, 1866, Ulysses S. Grant is named General of the Army of the United States, the first officer to hold the rank. 1946, the U.S. detonates an atomic bomb near Bikini Atoll in the Pacific in the first underwater test of the device. 1952, Puerto Rico becomes a self-governing Commonwealth of the United States. 1960, a Woolworth store in Greensboro, North Carolina, that had been the scene of a sit-in protest against its whites-only lunch counter, drops its segregation policy. 1972, that was that was 1960, not that long ago. 1972, the notorious Tuskegee syphilis experiment comes to light as the Associated Press reports that for the previous four decades, 
For decades, the U.S. Public Health Service, in conjunction with the Tuskegee Institute in Alabama, had been allowing poor rural black male patients with syphilis to go without treatment, even allowing them to die as a way of studying the disease. 1978, Louise um, Joy Brown, the first test tube baby, is born in Oldham, England. 1984, Soviet cosmonaut Svetlana Savitkaya, or something very like that, becomes the first woman to walk in space as she carries out more than three hours of experiments outside the orbiting space station uh, Salyut 7. 1994, Israeli Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabim and Jordan's King Hussein sign a declaration at the White House, ending their country's 46-year-old formal state of war. 2002, Zacharias Musawi declares he is guilty of conspiracy on September 11, 2001, terror attacks, then dramatically withdraws his plea at his arraignment in Alexandria, Virginia. 2018, a study published in the journal Science revealed that a huge lake of salty water appears to be buried deep in Mars, raising possibility of life on the planet. And finally, 2019, politically connected financier Jeffrey Epstein, facing sex trafficking charges, is found injured in his jail cell at the Metropolitan Correctional Center in New York City in what law enforcement officials described as a possible suicide attempt. Epstein uh, survives his injuries but would die in an apparent suicide weeks later on August 10th. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, news and traffic here at the top of the hour. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back. You're listening to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our next couple of segments, Andrew Farley, author of The Grace Message, and will tell you about a huge win for counselors and their clients. And Amy Grant has been named a Kennedy Honor, or let's see, a Kennedy Center honoree. We'll tell you more about that. She's the first contemporary Christian artist to be given said designation. Before we move forward, I want to let you know that our sister station, 104.1 The Fish, is presenting Fish Fest 2022. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, it's back at the Salem Riverfront Park on the 20th of August. Five great artists on stage, Toby Mack, Mac Powell, We the Messengers, Cochran and Company, and Katie Nicole. Everything you need to know about all these shows uh, with links to buy tickets is on our website, kpdq.com. Fish Fest is back. Well, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said on NBC's Meet the Press on Sunday that two straight quarters of economic contraction does not necessarily mean the nation is in a recession. Well, up to this point, that's precisely what a recession meant. But does it necessarily under today's rules? In the first quarter of this year, according to the Bureau of Economic Analysis, real gross domestic product declined at an annual rate of 1.6%. The rate of growth or decline in real GDP for the second quarter this year will be released by the BEA on Thursday. Well, Meet the Press host Chuck Todd asked Yellen if the technical definition is two quarters of contraction. You're saying that that's not a recession? Well, that's not the technical definition. Uh, There is an organization called the National Bureau of Economic Research that looks at a broad range of data in deciding whether or not there is a recession. And most of the data that they look at right now continues to be strong. I would be amazed if they would uh, declare this period to be a recession, even if it happens to have two quarters of negative growth, which has been the definition up to this point. Uh, Yellen went on to say, we have a very strong labor market when you are uh, creating almost 400,000 jobs a month. That's not a recession. 
well, we're coming after uh, that four hundred thousand dollars. Sorry, four hundred thousand jobs a month follows a period in which we were in lockdown. So we're not quite at the level we were before the pandemic. So it's not quite as impressive as it might sound. But the National Bureau of Economic Research, uh, which Yellen cited, is an independent organization of economists who track when the economy is growing and retracting and thus set the dates for when growth cycles and recessions begin and end. However, they don't hold the position of the Treasury Secretary who decides and announces for the nation. Well, according to the National Bureau of Economic Research, the economy uh, hit its last peak in the fourth quarter of 2019, just before COVID, and hit its um, uh, tough um, period in April of 2020. So if you were looking at the traditional definition of a recession, that would Uh, be determined at the end of a second quarter where you had um, contraction, that is apparently no longer the rules. We've got a new uh, standard. It's the technical definition as opposed to the convenient uh, definition. We'll see what uh, what actually happens when announcements are made later this week about the status of the economy. Well, everything is more expensive these days from gas to groceries, but lost in the headlines are the skyrocketing cost of Obamacare, its impact on inflation and the fact that uh, supporters want even more control over our nation's health care system, despite their record of, uh, well, mishandling it. Consumers were famously and repeatedly promised lower costs with Obamacare, but there was little attention paid to the fact that the Affordable Care Act could only function with a steady stream of billions of dollars in government subsidies. The corporate uh, media... Uh, Well, they pretty much didn't mention and haven't mentioned it much in recent years either, but it's still there and it's going to have a big impact on November's congressional elections if people are actually thinking about it. Well, Democrats want to increase those subsidies to prop up Obamacare and um, they want to um, do so in order to fight inflation. Again, the math is difficult to add up. If you're thinking more government spending causes inflation, you'd be right. You can leave it to supporters to create a bad situation and make it worse. Well, to keep the money flowing into Obamacare, the president signed the American Rescue Plan Act into law in 2021. According to the Congressional Budget Office, the massive spending package includes subsidies that will cost a whopping $30 billion in this year alone, an amount 50 percent above the amount the CBO projected one year earlier. Obamacare's total subsidy costs will be about $90 billion in 2022, $60 billion for the um, the original and 30 billion for the expanded component. Well, clearly they're not losing sleep about the impact of subsidies on the economy or on the wallets and credit cards of Americans. What they are worried about is the upcoming midterm elections. Of course, it's all about that this time of year in Washington. Well, as political analyst Peter Sunderman uh, writes, Democrats are worried that the subsidy expansion, including the ARP, will run out and that people who receive such subsidies will be notified just before voters head to the polls. Well, bad timing for sure, but maybe that's just what we need to pull away from, uh, pull away the uh, curtain, if you will, of this scheme and see what's really happening. We'll see what happens, uh, however, in this effort to prop up Obamacare. Well, Taiwan's capital staged air raid drills on Monday and its military mobilized for routine defense exercises, coinciding with um, concerns over a forceful Chinese response to a possible visit to the island by U.S. Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Uh, While there was no direct link between China's renewed threats and Taiwan's defensive moves, they underscore the possibility of a renewed crisis in the Taiwan Strait. 
considered a potential hotspot for conflict that could envelop the entire region. Air raid silence were, uh, sirens rather, were sounded in the capital of Taipei, and the military was holding its annual multi-day Han Kwong drill, including joint air and sea exercises and the mobilization of tanks and troops. In Taipei, police directed people to shelters where a siren went off shortly after lunchtime, streets emptied and shops closed. In recent years, Chinese military planes have frequently harassed Taiwan, and the war between Russia and Ukraine broke out in February this year, Taipei's mayor said, speaking to reporters, referencing concern that a similar conflict could break out in East Asia. All these things make us understand the importance of being vigilant in times of peace, and we need to be prepared if there is war, end quote. Pelosi hasn't uh, confirmed when or even if she will visit. President Joe Biden last week told reporters that U.S. military officials believe such a trip was not a good idea. Some are suggesting she ought to go just to prove that China can't dictate where U.S. political leaders can and cannot travel. Administration officials are believed to be critical of a possible trip, both the the problematic timing and the lack of coordination with the White House. We'll follow that story. As it develops, you're listening to the Georgine Rice show up next, a conversation with Andrew Farley, author of The Grace Message. Is the gospel really that good? You're listening to the Georgine Rice show podcast is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, my next guest has written a book you need to read. It's called The Grace Message, Is the Gospel Really This Good? Well, the ministry that's dedicated to proclaiming the love and grace of God with boldness and clarity, Pastor Andrew Farley. He believes there's no greater message needed today than the message of God's grace. Now, in the book titled The Grace Message, Is the Gospel Really This Good? from Salem Books, he shares how grace turns everything upside down. Now, when you think about grace do you think about it having an impact on every area of your life well he says that lots of people are getting a lightweight understanding of god's grace and it's only for them forgiveness when they fail in heaven when they die they don't see the empowerment of god's grace so we're going to talk about the grace message uh, with dr andrew farley he's a best-selling author of nine books he serves as president of the grace message a nonprofit christian media ministry dedicated to proclaiming the love and grace of god with boldness and clarity he hosts the grace message with dr andrew farley every weeknight and sunday afternoon on sirius xm satellite radio and on stations across north america he's also the lead pastor of the grace church and has been recognized with several awards for his excellence in teaching he lives in dallas with his uh, family wife and son and we're just delighted to have him here with us today to talk about this extraordinary book thank you so much for joining us Oh, well, thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Well, this is such an important subject, and you would think within the Christian church, this would be like the thing everybody understands, clings to, and recognizes as, uh, you know, the golden ticket, if you will. That's a a poor way of putting it, but I think you get the idea. Why is it that we have to be taught and retaught to understand and embrace and fully enjoy the, the benefits, the lavish grace that God has for his children? Yeah, well, we grow up uh, going to school, we work hard, and they give us good grades, and we go to the workplace and uh, give it our best effort, and they give us a promotion. So we're very much accustomed to an achieving system, and then we come to believe in Christ, and we now are engaged in a receiving system. It's the opposite, the polar opposite of what we experience on planet Earth. And so 
grace turns everything upside down. It's it's not about our trying. It, it's really about our trusting. And it's not about what we're doing for God. It's really about what He did for us. So it's counterintuitive. It's an assault on the ego at times. Mm. And we just have to be receivers of God's grace. You begin with an exploration of the Old Testament law, which is perhaps where some of our confusion comes from. And you contrast that with the New Covenant. Can you give us a a kind of a brief overview of the two different systems and, you know, the fact that we're under the New Covenant, the benefit we enjoy because of what Christ has done? Yeah, I don't think we realize how stringent and even impossible the law really was. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was 613 commands uh, staring us in the face everything from dietary laws to uh, ceremonial washings and sacrificial regulations. And, you know, we tend to think of the Old Testament law as 10 rules written on stone, uh, but it was much larger than that. And for a reason, I mean, Jesus comes along and basically shows that it's impossible. Hey, you think you're doing good avoiding adultery. I tell you, if you look with lust, it's the same thing. And you think you're doing great just avoiding murder. Well, I tell you, if you get angry with someone, it's the same as murder. Um, He's raising the bar and showing the impossibility of true law keeping so that they would realize their need for God's grace. And, you know, God's grace is the polar opposite. It's not us trying our best to get close to God and stay close. It's In fact, uh, the idea that Jesus made us close through the death, burial, and resurrection, everything is free to the believer. Uh, We're forgiven for free. We're made righteous for free. We're brought near to God for free at no cost to us because it costs Jesus everything. Absolutely everything. And then you have the the Pharisees and the teachers of the law that heap tradition and all sorts of rules that were never intended uh, on top of the law, making it even more impossible. But somehow believing that if we just add more to it, if we just try to clarify it in our own strength, then somehow we're going to measure up to what Jesus himself declared is an impossible standard. Yeah, I mean, what they were doing was they were they were adding things that were achievable for them personally, and then they were creating loopholes, and they were creating exceptions and addendums and that sort of thing to try to make it palatable and doable. And, you know, the New Testament reveals if you keep the whole law and stumble in one point, James says, you're guilty of all of it. Uh, Galatians says you're under a curse if you're under the law because— Cursed is everyone who does not obey everything. So the law is not multiple choice. Uh, It's not choose your own adventure. Uh, It's not like a buffet line at your favorite restaurant. The law is an all or nothing proposition. And that's why we need God's grace instead. Now, let's begin by defining grace. How is it different from mercy or even forgiveness? Well, I mean, mercy is when you're driving down the road at 100 miles an hour and the police officer pulls you over and says, hey, I'm not going to give you a ticket today. I'm going to show you mercy. Uh, But if he pulls out a thousand dollar bill and hands it to you, that's grace. I mean, grace is ridiculous. It's over the top. It's uh, it's just excessive and, and beyond measure. It's undeserved favor. And that's that's the difference between grace and mercy. But I think the average Christian, we're just looking at grace as, well, forgiveness and heaven. You know, God's a banker that canceled my debt, and he's a travel agent that has booked me for heaven. But God's grace is bigger than that. God's grace also means that God is a heart surgeon. He took out our heart of stone, gave us a new heart, 
filled us with new desires, gave us his spirit. So God's grace is equipping. And anybody that throws stones at God's grace or wants to lessen God's grace is going to lessen their victory over sin. Now, why, what is the new covenant and why is that so important? We've talked a little bit about the law and how impossible it is to live up to the standards there. And, you know, I think a lot of people question, well, why were they put in place? We know that Jesus explained to expose the fact that we, we can't achieve, you know, God is so holy, his standards are so high, we cannot reach that standard. Well, let's talk about the new uh, covenant and how that somehow yeah. reconciles us to God in ways that the law never could. Yeah, so the promise of the New Covenant is actually older than the Old Covenant, and a lot of folks don't realize that. But, I mean, obviously the the promise given to Abraham was that he would be the father of many nations, and that's what the New Covenant is. Uh, Jesus Christ was lifted up on that cross. He begins to invite anyone and everyone to come to him. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And when we're saved, we enter into the benefits of this New Covenant— And it's not our promise to God. It's actually God's promise to himself. Uh, Hebrews tells us this. It says God could could not swear by anyone greater, so he swore by himself. And we learn that the new covenant is basically God promising God. So on one hand, you've got the faithfulness of God. And on the other hand, you've got the faithfulness of God. And that's what locks us in. That's why we're saved and forgiven and righteous because God has promised himself uh, to keep us secure. So the old covenant was their promises. Uh, God, we're really going to do it this time. We'll rededicate. We'll recommit. We'll obey everything, Lord. And it, it was a story of failure upon failure. And that's why the new covenant is so radically different. It's not about our promise keeping. It's about God's promise keeping to himself. I know that you, when you've presented the message of of grace, sometimes it's interpreted as being dangerous, that it is a cheap grace that you're referencing, that it gives people a license to sin. Can you uh, respond to those objections? And we'll go a bit deeper uh, in that area. But um, why do people fear the notion of grace as the scripture describes it? Yeah, when people call it dangerous grace, I like to say, well, yeah, it's dangerous to the enemy. (laughs) If you get a hold of God's grace, Titus 2 says the grace of God teaches us to say no to sin. The enemy doesn't want that. The enemy wants you uh, looking at rules, trying to engage in rule-keeping, being scared of God, trying to impress God every day with your actions. That's not the gospel. So grace is dangerous, but it's only dangerous to the enemy. Somebody says it's cheap grace. Well, I don't get that because, (laughs) as we said earlier, it costs Jesus his life and it's free to us. So there's no place for cheap grace. And then, you know, people will say it's hyper grace. I like to say, yeah, I'm I'm pretty hyper about it myself. And the New Testament even uses the prefix hyper multiple times to talk about God's grace, that it's excessive, it's overabundance. Uh, the overabundance of grace is it's off the charts. It's amazing. And then lastly, I would just say, you know, people are, are saying grace is uh, a license to sin. Well, aren't we sinning just fine without a without license? license. <laughs> as, I, as I look at the Christian world, here we are afraid of God, trying to impress God, trying hard to work for God to get in, in his good graces. We're, we're in this achieving system, and yet we're failing and we're sinning just fine. So 
What if we gave God's grace a chance? I mean, Jesus said, whoever's forgiven much loves much. And do we believe him on that, that that forgiveness and grace and the kindness of the Lord, that's what leads us to repentance and motivates and inspires us? We're talking this afternoon with uh, Dr. Andrew Farley. He's a pastor and author of The Grace Message, Is the Gospel Really This Good? Well, the answer clearly is yes, but do we get it? Well, the book is all about helping us understand what the scriptures teach, and that changes everything. We'll continue our conversation in just a moment. Again, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I'm continuing my conversation with Dr. Andrew Farley. He's a best-selling author of nine books. His latest is The Grace Message, Is the Gospel Really This Good? And the answer, of course, if you've read the scriptures, if you know Jesus, yes. But do we dramatically underestimate the value and the virtue of grace in the life of the believer? And I suppose the answer to that is also yes for many of us. Um, how is grace connected to the gospel message and in, in coming to Christ and recognizing what he's done for us? How does that connection uh, help us better understand the value and the virtue of grace? Yeah, well, grace is not a special focus. It's not a special emphasis. Uh, grace is the gospel itself. I mean, we're told in, in the book of Acts that the gospel is called the gospel of grace. That's Acts twenty twenty four. Uh, We're told elsewhere that uh, God has given us grace upon grace, that Jesus is full of grace. Uh, Romans says we're standing in grace. Uh, Titus 2 says the grace of God teaches us to say no to sin. I mean, we could go on and on. There's dozens and dozens of passages showing us that grace is the very core of the gospel. In fact, it's what differentiates Christianity from world religions. I mean, the common theme in world religions is you do your part, you work your hardest, God will grade on a curve, you try to get clean and get pure and get right through your obedience, and maybe, just maybe, uh, you will satisfy the deity. And that's what we see in world religions with a founder and a rule book, and you keep the rules, and you're in good standing. If you fail to keep the rules, you're punished. And that's religion, but that's not uh, what Christianity really is. Uh, Christianity is about relying on the work of another, the finished work of Jesus Christ. Uh, He hung on that cross and said it's finished, and then, of course, we learn through the New Testament that salvation is free by grace we're saved. Well, I think this is one of the areas where there's confusion. We know that legalism is opposed to the the grace message, but what role does obedience play? We know that we're not earning our salvation, we're not earning favor um, before God, but we are called to be obedient. How does that fit into the grace message and the, the grace that we uh, enjoy in Christ? Yeah, so God's grace is equipping. And when we were saved, it was more than a ticket to heaven. It was more than an invitation to attend a building once a week on Sunday morning. Um, it was actually a heart surgery. You might even say a DNA swap at the core of our being. Uh, He took out our heart of stone and gave us a new heart. Romans 6 says that that new heart is an obedient heart, and that's the connection we need to make. Uh, Look, I can be forgiven 
and yet miserable. Mm -hmm. I can be righteous and yet miserable. So why do I want to be miserable in choosing sin? Uh, I've got this new heart. There's only one thing that's going to satisfy me. Uh, And so I'm going to prove that God is right about me. Uh, I'm going to prove it by sinning and being miserable or by trusting Jesus and being fulfilled. But either way, I prove that my heart is an obedient heart. I'm addicted to Jesus. I'm allergic to sin. I think when we come to recognize the the depth of God's grace um, that, again, he lavishes on us, our heart's desire is to please him out of gratitude and love rather than that sense of obligation that so often drives us uh, to be legalistic. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm either waking up uh, Monday morning and deciding I'm going to behave today in order to earn points and achieve status and get the certificates redeemable in heaven's gift shop, or I'm waking up Monday morning realizing, you know what, Father, you've told me I'm your child, that I'm new-hearted, that I'm dead to sin, alive to God, that you've got the market cornered on, on satisfaction, and I believe you, that you're good. So today I'm going to taste and see that the Lord is good. And if that's my motivation, well, that's healthy Christianity. What does it mean to die to sin? Um, We struggle throughout our lifetime because we still are in the flesh. What does it mean to die to to sin? And what role does grace play in the the working out, the sanctification that is part of the life of every believer? Yeah, so it's interesting because when we actually look at this phrase, die to sin, uh, it's used in past tense for the believer. So this happened to us at salvation. I mean, Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified mm-hmm. with Christ, and Romans 6 says, I, I, my old self died. Uh, Paul even says, you died to sin. How can you live in it any longer? So that's that heart surgery I was talking about a moment ago. I, I may not realize that I have a, a heart surgery that's occurred. I may still think that uh, I'm the same as the guy next door. I mean, that guy next door, he lays awake nights dreaming of new ways to sin. And then here you and I are talking about ways to not sin. So uh, we're spiritually, well, we're aliens in this world. We're, We're not a good fit with a fallen world. And so if I could just wrap my mind around the fact that it's not just that Jesus died for my sins. I died with Jesus. And when I died with Jesus, I died to sin's power. And that means sin doesn't have to have dominance over me anymore. I can say no to sin, and I can say yes to who I really am. But there's a process there. I mean, you're right. I'm learning and I'm growing in that truth. I I don't have perfect understanding. And so God says we'll be transformed by the renewing of our minds. But let me just just clarify one thing Mm -hmm. that I think is really lacking in in the average person's understanding. This doesn't mean that my heart is wicked and deceitful and all those things that we like to say. No, you've got the new heart. What you need is is new attitudes, new perspectives, the renewing of the mind. So it's like software and hardware. Uh, When you bring a computer home, the hardware's new, but you still might need some software updates. Well, likewise, we've got the new spiritual hardware as believers, but we still need some software updates, the renewing of the mind. Yeah, I think some of us are carrying around the corpse of our sin nature, not realizing we have been crucified with Christ and 
and we live in him. How can we live in God's grace? What are some practical steps that you would suggest for those of us who want to live and embrace fully all that God has for us? Yeah. So, uh, you know, we could bring sin nature into it because you mentioned that. I mean, uh, so I had a great talk in 2009 uh, with Zondervan, the publishing house. They published my first book and I said, hey, look, uh, you guys have the NIV Bible and you are perpetuating this uh, sinful nature verbiage and it's not actually in the original language. Uh, Would you look at that again? And sure enough, they did. After two decades of it being in there, they changed it back to flesh. And I think that's important. Uh, It's not just semantics because, you know, what we need to tell believers is you've got a new nature. Uh, Your new spiritual nature is that you're one spirit with the Lord, and yet you've got the stinking thinking. And that's what the flesh is. It's stinking thinking. It's, It's old attitudes. It's remnants of that old self in your attitudes. But the old self is gone. So you need to be reprogrammed in your mind, let go of fleshly thinking. And you ask me about, you know, what's the best way forward? Well, you fuel up. I mean, you fuel up on God's truth and you fuel up on God's grace and you you set your mind on the goodness of God and the goodness of the gospel. And I, I think if we learn who we are in Christ then we can be ourselves and express Jesus at the same time. I mean, we're not an obstacle to God. We're his instruments. Yeah, that's good. Now, what do you say to people who don't believe that God's grace is as good as the Bible says? My first suggestion would be read the book and then read the book. Uh, But how would you respond to to one who uh, isn't convinced that God's grace is as good as the scriptures say? Yeah, I think they need a heavier dose of law for about 15 minutes to come to their senses. Uh, You know, if we're going to say God's grace is not this big, then what's our answer? Go back to the law, and you'll quickly find Jesus said, cut off your hand, pluck out your eye, be perfect like God, go sell everything in order to enter the kingdom. I mean, Jesus showed us the stringency of true self-improvement. He showed us how impossible it was so that we would realize our need for God's grace. So when somebody says, no, no, it's not all about grace, or no, no, God's grace is not that big, I would just invite them to go examine the law again and come back when they're done, because when you see the law in all of its impossible glory, then the grace of God shines even more brightly. Oh, absolutely. In fact, Jesus said he fulfilled the law. We were so blessed to be free from the burden of of all that was yes. in it. Well, Dr. Farley, I thank you for the book, and I thank you for taking time to to join us here today. Once again, the book is The Grace Message, Is the Gospel Really This Good? The Answer, Yes, <laughs> uh, published by Salem Books. Thank you so much, Dr. Farley. Thank you. My pleasure. Bye-bye. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back to wrap things up. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. Just want to let you know before I get into um, this huge win for counselors and their clients that on Friday we are going to rebroadcast an interview that took place last Thursday that was only heard in part. We had some technical difficulties, and my understanding is there was a 20-minute gap in that interview with Jeff Tracy, the barbecue king. So we're going to rebroadcast that on Friday. So you'll want to tune in for all the important details you might have missed. 
Uh, But again, that's coming up on Friday. And that will be, by the way, in the first hour of Friday's show. Well, the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals has denied a request from Palm Beach County and the city of Boca Raton for an en blanc. It's a review of a decision by a three judge panel that previously struck down laws in 2020 that banned counselors from providing and minor clients and their families from receiving any counsel to reduce or overcome unwanted same-sex attraction, behaviors, or gender confusion. Now, the case is Otto et al. versus City of Boca Raton, Florida, uh, found that the uh, laws were both con- uh, both uh, content and viewpoint-based and violate the First Amendment right to free speech. This is the first federal court of appeals decision on such a law since 2018, the Supreme Court decision in National Institute of Family Life Family and Life Advocates and Bacara. Well, Liberty Council represented Dr. Robert Otto and Dr. Julie Hamilton and their minor clients who challenged the constitutionality of ordinances that were enacted by the city and Palm Beach County that prohibit minors from voluntarily counseling or seeking counsel from licensed professionals. Now, these licensed therapists provide life-saving counseling to minors who desperately desire to conform their attractions, their behaviors, and gender identities to their sincerely held religious beliefs. Um, This is talk therapy. It's not conversion therapy, which is sort of a a uh, contrived notion based on some historic abuses uh, to try to prevent any counselor from having the opportunity to service a client in this area. Judge Grant, joined uh, by Judges Branch and Lagoa, uh, they wrote a concurring opinion that expressed agreement with the denial of the review. They wrote, the perspective enforced by those local policies is extremely popular in many communities, and the speech barred by those ordinances is rejected by many as wrong and even dangerous. But the First Amendment applies even to especially uh, even to, especially to speech that is widely unpopular. The panel opinion thoroughly explains why a fair-minded and neutral application of long-standing First Amendment law dooms the ordinances, end quote. Because ordinary First Amendment law will displace these speech bans, creative thinking is required to save them. In its attempt to persuade the reader otherwise, the dissent misreads First Amendment precedents. Take National Institute of Family and Life Advocates versus Becerra. Uh, The uh, NIFLA was the uh, way to uh, recognize it. Judge Rosenbaum cites that uh, that case is showing that the Supreme Court permits governments to impose content based restrictions on speech with persuasive uh, evidence of a long and heretofore unrecognized tradition to that effect. Well, in the decision today, the court recognizes that the National Institute and Family of Life Advocates Uh, abrogated cases uh, regarding help to reduce or eliminate unwanted same-sex attractions, behaviors, or gender confusion. Read correctly, NIFLA emphasizes that content-based regulation is heavily disfavored and that there is no tradition of regulating professional speech. Um, Lots of uh, communities around the country are forbidding those who are seeking uh, help voluntarily to engage in talk therapy, Um, to address their same-sex or unwanted sex attractions. Uh, This decision uh, suggests that that Supreme Court precedent does not allow for that. So this was certainly a a win for the counseling profession in that area. I'm not sure how broadly it will be uh, applied, but in that area, and perhaps uh, shining some light uh, on other areas who may also challenge how it's being implemented. Well, CCM icon Amy Grant has been named a Kennedy Center honoree. She'll become the first contemporary Christian artist to receive that annual award, given to recognize her place as the Queen of Christian Pop. 
well, contemporary Christian music. There are lots of different genres of which she would not be considered queen. But nonetheless, uh, in 2022, she will be among five honorees. Never in my wildest dreams did I imagine ever receiving this prestigious Kennedy Center honors. Uh, Grant said in a statement, I cannot wait to celebrate with my fellow honorees, friends and family. Thank you for widening the circle to include all of us, end quote. Well, the center plans uh, to fate Grant in its 45th class of honorees that also includes actor George Clooney, singer Gladys Knight, Pulitzer Prize winning composer Tanya Leon and the rock band U2. Kennedy Center Chairman David Rubenstein lauded Grant, saying in a statement that she became the first artist to bring contemporary Christian music to the forefront of American culture, then equally thrived after crossing over into mainstream pop with hit after hit and today is revered as the queen of Christian pop. I'm not really sure that's true, but that's a quote. Over more than four decades, Grant has had album sales exceeding 30 million and more than a billion global streams earning three multi-platinum albums, six platinum albums, and four gold albums. She was the first contemporary Christian musician to have a number one hit on the pop charts with The Next Time I Fall in 1986 duet with Peter Cetera and the band Chicago and the first to perform at the Grammy Awards, eventually becoming a six-time Grammy winner. Baby Baby, you might recall, was a hit in 1991. It was a platinum album, Heart in Motion, was the name of that album that contained the song. It helped spread her fame, and she marked its 30th anniversary last year. She told Religion News Service it was both an overwhelming and joyful experience. It's like the jumping through the ring of fire, Grant recalled in the uh, interview. Pretty hot when you're uh, in the middle of it, but it doesn't last that long. Well, Center Director Deborah Rudders told the Associated Press that Grant's inclusion broke new ground for the Kennedy honors. We've had a gospel um, before, she said. We've had plenty of R&B and soul. Uh, We've had country music, but we haven't necessarily had Amy Grant and Christian pop in the same way. Other Christian music winners have been Marion Williams, a star of the award singers and later a soloist. In 1993, Mavis Staples, a member of the Staples Singers, who also moved on to a solo career in 2016. Other honorees in 2022 have been known for their faith connections. Gladys Knight, a Uh, converted to um, Mormonism. She sung at the Mormon Tabernacle Choir's Christmas concert. U2 with lead singer Bono has been known for its uh, Bible-related lyrics and songs like, I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. Eileen Andrews, vice president of public relations for the Kennedy Center, told uh, the interviewer that while Grant is the first contemporary Christian artist to be honored, others had had gospel music connections, most prominently Aretha Franklin, who recorded gospel albums and was celebrated at the Kennedy Center Honors in 1994. Grant and the other honorees will be saluted in a celebratory filled gala at the center's opera house on December the 4th. It will be broadcast later on CBS if you're interested in watching. So congratulations, Amy Grant. I want to thank James Blind for producing, Sam Moppin for engineering today's program, and thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night, and if you can, please stay cool. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. 
Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.